Hi guys, I'm Maui. I serve in the kids ministry here at Flourishing Grace. Um, we are going to be reading from Philippians today. If you didn't bring your Bible, there will be one in the rack under the chair in front of you. And we will be in Philippians chapter 4. And here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the word of God. Will you please stand in reverence of that if you are able? And I'll be starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, glad you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, we, I get the privilege to finish off our series, Indestructible Joy, uh, with you guys. Um, and I think it's fitting, actually, where Paul kind of ends uh, this letter that he writes to Philippians uh, for us. Um, because I think it actually moves us into the season of Advent so beautifully. Um, also, at the same time, I don't think when Josh Knight was picking out who was going to preach what, I actually know this because he gave up the dates and we kind of picked where we could. Um, I don't think he realized, though, that he was going to give me two passages that had verses that we take out of context all the time. Uh, so if you remember earlier this semester when I preached, there was a passage that, we, that it's easy for us to take out of context, and today as well, uh, there's a passage or a verse in here that we take out of context a lot of times. Um, and that, that, that verse here is that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you've seen that on like a, a painting uh, in like a dentist office, something like that, uh, right? Um, I got a laugh, specifically dentists, I don't know, I guess uh, I got a laugh from that at the first as well. Um, or like I've, I've imagined, uh, I'm not sure if this is what they're saying to themselves, okay, but I feel like it is. Like baseball player gets up to the bat and they like take their cross and, you know, they kiss the cross, they like look up and they're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, I can hit this home run, right? And there's like this, that we've turned that verse into like a motivational kind of poster, like a motivational speech to ourselves, really of saying, man, if, uh, if I just sprinkle kind of Jesus on whatever I'm involved in, that it's going to be successful. Like it's going to work, and it's going to work way better than everything else. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room, 
you, you know that that's not true. Because who in here has done something, like you're a follower of Jesus, you're going after what he has for you, and your, your venture, your thing that you're involved in fails. Anybody? Yeah, me too, right? The things that we do don't always succeed. Like they're not always, oh my gosh, this was the, the, most, uh, the best thing I've ever done, and it's, it's just amazing because simply I'm a follower of Jesus, and so he's just gonna make everything work. Um, but I think what Paul is really saying here, uh, w- what he actually says here, is way more beautiful than even the idea that everything we do succeeds. Right? We all want to succeed in everything we do. We don't set out to fail at things, at least not for the most part. Um, and so we want to succeed. Um, but I think what God has for us uh, and what Paul is saying here to the Philippians is so much better for us Uh, so much better for the kingdom of God and so much more right and perfect than taking this verse out of context. Some uh, translations uh, of the Bible, sorry, notes, there we go. Some translation of the, some translations of the Bible actually add a word in here. It says, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. To kind of help people see this isn't a catch-all, I can just do all things, that Paul is nestling this in the passage for a reason. So what I want to do is I want to read, and I want to go back and read verses 11 through 13 with you so we can see, okay, what are the these that he's talking about? What are these things? What are these things that he's saying I can do through Christ? Um, And he says this, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in every situation I uh, I am to be content I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. So what Paul is pointing out here is that he has learned that in any circumstance that he is in, that he can be content that he can be content because of the strength that's given from Jesus, the strength that's given from his Lord and from his Savior. And so, um, yeah, sorry, I lost my place. Um, Sorry, I just completely lost it. There we go. Uh, Yeah, and so um, what does, when we think about contentment or being content, uh, Paul says this here, I can be content in all circumstances. What, do we, what does that mean? Well, the definition of it is internal satisfaction or being fulfilled, right? Being fulfilled, being satisfied uh, uh, in our lives. But sometimes I think, I don't know why, but we kind of make contentment this thing that's like, I have, uh, I have what I need and it's good enough and there's not really any joy in it. But, but what Paul is saying here is, no, I have satisfaction, I have fulfillment. I have, like, I am perfectly full. And I, and I can think of it this way. If you're at a uh, dinner party or uh, you're at dinner somewhere and, you know, uh, it's fancy enough where the glass is already there when you sit down, uh, but it's empty, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. They don't do this at, like, Fuddruckers. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I guess they do give you an empty glass, yeah. Uh, cup. Uh, anyway, but it's there, sitting there, and someone comes around and they tell you the options. They say, you know, we have this, we have this, we have this. Would you like this? You know, and so you tell them, I would like my cup to be filled with, you know, whatever. 
Um, let's take Dr. Pepper. You know? <laughs> so, and your glass is this big, okay? But what if that, what if that uh, person filled up your glass to like here? What would you do? Well, you'd look at them, and if you're polite, you would say, hey, sorry, uh, can, you f- can you fill that up a little more <laughs> for me? Like, why? Well, because like this much Dr. Pepper is not enough for your meal, right? You want, you want to you want to fill that cup up to be satisfied. When you look at it, you go, yeah, that's the amount that I want to drink in this moment. And this is what Paul is saying here. When he looks at his cup, the cup of his life, he says, I am fully content. Like, I'm fully satisfied. I have everything that I need. And in the same way, he's saying, thank you so much for your generous gifts and your, your uh, sacrificial giving Philippians, thank you for your sacrificial giving that I could go to the ends of the earth because of you, but also know this, that everything, uh, that in everything, I'm content, I'm satisfied wherever God has me. And so the question I have for us today is, uh, when we think about our lives, like, are we actually content in our lives? Like, are we actually satisfied in this moment, like right now, I want you to think about it. Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you saying, I'm, f- I'm fulfilled? I'm not at want for anything. For some, you may, think it, you may be thinking, no, like honestly, right now, this week, all I've been thinking about is if I get this promotion, then it'll solve all my problems or a lot of my problems and it'll be way better for us. Um, or, man, I, I've, been, I've been struggling to find, like, a house or the place that I want to live in or the city that I want to be in or the people that I want to be around, and, and I just have this, like, discontent in me of if, if once I get there, that will fulfill me and solve a lot of my problems. Or maybe it's the money that you have in investments or, or the money that you have set aside for retirement or the money you have for your future, for your kids, uh, things like that, and you're just discontent and anxious going, I, no, I need, I have plans. Like, once I get here, then it's smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. For some of you, you can sit and you can go, yeah, Josh, like, honestly, I am, like, content with where we're at. Like, I feel good. Like, if this is where I was for the rest of my life, like, I'd be fine. And my question to you, my question for you, those of you who are thinking that in your head, I want you to ask, okay, what is the source of your contentment, though? Like, what's the reason that you're content? Is it because you've, you're on the other side of that where you say, well, I'm actually in the house that I want to be in. And like, if I was in this house the rest of my life, I'd be fine. Or I'm in the financial situation I'm in, or I'm in, uh, I'm in the place I want to be as far as my family or my friends or, or promotions or, or jobs or, or whatever. Um, because if that's the reason that you're content, my, my, uh, what I want to say to you is that I think you're just content for now, Right? which means you're not really content, that one day discontentment will come along, it'll creep itself in, and it'll take over your life again. But Paul is talking about a never-ending satisfaction, like a full contentment, a full fullness, like being full. Yesterday, a bunch of the young adults here, uh, we got together for a Friendsgiving uh, that's what you call Thanksgiving when it's not on Thanksgiving, if you didn't know that. Uh, and so we got together, and we ate some amazing food, and by the end of it, I was full. I could not eat anymore, right? Or at least I shouldn't have. Um, and I was, I was full. 
I was full. And this is like, the, that's the feeling that Paul has here. Like in his life, he looks at his life and he goes, I am, I'm full. I'm full. But the beauty of what Paul is talking about here is uh, th- there's a couple truths to this contentment that I, that I want to share with you guys. The, f- the first one is this, uh, that the contentment that Paul is talking about is not connected to our circumstances. The contentment that Paul is talking about is not connected to our circumstances. I, was go- I would go as far to say that the contentment that Paul is talking about can't be. It can't be connected to our circumstances. Right? The world, our, our world that we live in loves to breed and, and, and sow discontentment into our lives. As I was getting ready for this sermon a little bit, uh, this week I was at a coffee shop downtown and I'm typing away, looking out the window, and I see a billboard, you know, like one of the billboards over the, the highway or 15, and, and it's one of the ones that's like rotating, a bunch of different uh, slides. Um, and I would say like seven of the 10, like, because I was laughing, like as I'm, as I'm writing the sermon, I'm laughing at it because it's like, it's all of them are like, uh, like trying to get, like, you should invest here, come, uh, like, you want a bigger home, like, we can get you into a bigger home, you want this, we can get you this, right, and then if you turn to your phone, and you look at social media, it's like, everything you swipe through, it's, it's sowing discontent in our lives, it's like, you need this to be full, you need this to be full, you need this to be full, and, and our world breeds this in us really easily, it's really easy for us to become discontent, with what we have and where we are and, and where God has placed us in the world. But Paul is saying his contentment is outside of his circumstances. Now, sometimes what Christians do, um, we do this weird thing um, where we take it to two, two extremes, crazy. Uh, we take it to the, the ends of it. And, and one of those ways that we take it to the extreme is, is we kind of think, okay, uh, you know, right now I have nothing. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to get up in my job and I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'll be useful to God because I'll have money or I'll have status or I'll have fame. And so then I can use that fame or that status or that money to bring about the kingdom of God in those areas of, of your life. And that, that might happen to you. That might be true. But we like wait. And I work with students here and so all the time I'm begging students, hey, right now, like in this moment, the reality is, for most teenagers, um, you, you, you don't, as far as the world goes, you don't offer a ton to society <laughs> as a teenager. You just don't, right? Because you're learning, you're growing, you're being shaped, right? And in this moment, don't say, okay, once I get a degree and once I have a college education or once I go learn a skill or once I whatever, then I'll start following Jesus and I'll actually be able to impact the kingdom of God. No, start now. You have a lunch table. Like, you have a soccer team, you have like a neighborhood, like right now you have nothing and, and God's going to do amazing things with it. When I was in college, um, I had, um, so poor college student, okay, I um, was looking for a job, I worked at a vet clinic on Saturdays, uh, giving rabies shots, they didn't train me, I don't know why I was doing that, um, <laughs> it was bad, it was a good deal uh, for me. Free lunch, it was great. Anyway, but I was looking for something else because I need, some, I need money to pay for, for everything, pay for my rent and all the stuff. And so there was a guy in our church, older gentleman, who uh, led some Bible studies, um, and he worked in insurance. And so he was like, hey, like, meet up with me. I always look for you know, college students who want to help out. And so I go meet up with him uh, at a coffee shop, and we're talking. 
And first of all, not all insurance is this, but it ended up being, it was definitely a Ponzi scheme, okay? 100%, you know, Utah, you know what that looks like. But, uh, uh, but it definitely was. Not all, not all insurance is that way at all, but this was a hum sitting there going, oh my gosh. But then the second thing that was crazy to me is what this guy said is, uh, he, he said, Josh, what do you, you want to do with your life? And I was a year away from my undergrad uh, being done, and I said, well, I, I think that I really want to be a pastor. Like, I, I want to plant churches. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. I feel this passion, this burden. Like, I feel a burden to lead people towards Jesus. And he goes, oh, that's great, man. And he goes, well, what if, though, for the next, like, 10 or 15 years, while you're young, you work for me, and I'll make you millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then you can take all that millions of dollars, and you can go plant churches, and no one has to pay you, no one has to pay for the stuff. You can pay for all of it. How cool would that be? And I sat there with a, 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 like a rock in my stomach because I, I could just feel, I'm like, that's not right. Like, that's not, that's not right. Like, God has called me to give my first fruits, not just my, my money, but my energy and my time to him. Like, God has called me into this. And it's not trusting God in it. Like, it was, it was trusting that God needed my money, and God doesn't need anything from me. God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign over everything, literally everything. He doesn't need my money. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so I walked away from that, obviously not doing it. But sometimes we get in this rut where we feel like we have to do these things, and then, God, we're useful to God, and that's just not true. And then the flip side is also true, that sometimes we feel like as Christians that we have to get rid of everything uh, live in a box and literally like wear like garbage bags uh, so that God can use us, that that somehow is more holy. Um, but that's not true either. That's not true either. Um, like it's not a, like the gospel is not about prosperity. Like if I follow Jesus or I'm learning to follow, or I'm working my way towards Jesus, that he's going to bring me to be rich. And it's not a poverty gospel where it's like, if I follow Jesus, I'm actually going to be dirt poor. It's neither of those. What Paul is talking about here is, no, in everything that I do, in everything that I am, that uh, everything that I have, no matter where I'm at, whether I have two pennies or a billion dollars, it's all God's. He can do what he wants with it. It's about our heart towards God in it. The second thing we see about contentment uh, in this from Paul is that Paul's contentment is learned. Like, it's a learned contentment. You, you actually don't pop out the womb uh, content. If you've been there for that situation, uh, you would know that that's not true because what happens, like, basically instantly when babies are born? They cry, okay? They are not content, okay? And then for those of you who have kids, you go on for a little bit and you realize, not content, not content, not content, not content with anything that I do, right? They are discontent the entire time, you know? Right? Not the right food, not the right... Anyway, we're not going on, but... That's how uh, we are, that we are discontent. And Paul learned from his situations, and in those situations, giving those up to Jesus to be content, to actually trust him. So, for instance, we know that Paul lived from this passage, that he lived in abundance at some points of his life, right? We can imagine that he probably, when he was uh, in Philippi with Lydia, that she was wealthy, he probably had some amazing dinners, with some amazing, wealthy people. That he was hosted by some amazing, wealthy Christian friends, right? And in those moments, 
uh, in those moments, it was good. It was right. There's nothing wrong with that. But in those moments also, he learned a couple things about contentment. That even when you have exactly what you need and more, that discontentment can be there really easily. And that in those moments that you have to learn that you're tested by greed and love of money and arrogance and, and desires of your own hearts and living an empty life. Like the ability to be able to buy whatever you want and feel as if it's going to satisfy your soul and satisfy your situation and, and learning that that's just not true. Right? How many of you have bought uh, presents for your kids? How, let's just from last year. How many, how many of your kids begged you for things for Christmas? And right now you can think, I know exactly where that is. And it's like in a closet somewhere collecting dust, right? Like, right, we know that these things, they're great, but they don't satisfy. They're not satisfying to us. Paul even goes as far in 1 Timothy to tell Timothy to just watch out. Watch out for the trap of wanting, like, that your God is to be rich over everything else. Because it plunges people into ruin and destruction, and many times because of their own desires and poor decisions in that. And so there's a lesson to be learned about contentment when we have abundance. Like, that's why I love here at Flourishing Grace, like, uh, when we do offering, right, we don't, pass, we don't pass around a bucket anymore because, you know, COVID happened and everyone pays online now and there's all of that, um, gives online. But, uh, but we, we sit and we take a moment from our gathering and we pray and we ask God, we say, thank you for what you've given me, not just money, but time and talent and resource everything that I have influence, God, and I surrender it all to you. It's yours. It's, it's fully yours. And that's what Paul is getting at. But also, here's the deal. Paul knew hardship too. Right? Where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. He's in prison. Right? He is locked up in chains at this very moment. And he's saying, I can be content in everything. So he's not speaking from a place of like abundance and saying this. He's speaking from a place of, I can be content in everything, uh, in chains. Um, and we see this a couple times in uh, just the, the things that Paul endured uh, in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, uh, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Uh, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my people, or from my own people, dangers from Gentile, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. So Paul knew what it was like to have hardship, to have hardship, to have nothing, like physically, and in those times, what did it do? It taught him to trust God and what he's doing and to remember in that moment that the kingdom of God and who God is and what God has done for us in Christ is so much more important than any of those things. Because what was God doing during that whole time, during the shipwrecks, during the imprisonments, during, during all the, the stonings and the hard things that, that Paul endured? What was God doing? He was pushing forward the gospel kingdom. People in droves were coming to know Jesus and being saved, uh, being saved from their sin and brought into the family of God. And those people are now in heaven praising Jesus. Right? They were set free from bondage. And Paul had a momentary hardship. 
momentary. I mean, it was a lot in his life, but in this span of eternity, it's momentary, momentary. And some of you have felt that. Some of you have lived in abundance and in with nothing. Some of you have lost, loss of health, loss of your job, loss of what you, uh, what you were maybe holding on to for security in your life. And you know the feeling of that. You know the feeling of like having to almost trust Jesus. When, when I was a kid, uh, so my dad is an engineer um, at Abbott and, and, and Abbott Labs in Texas. And he, um, growing up though, he was uh, a contract engineer for a bunch of different, bunch of different uh, places. Um, and I'm the third child, the youngest child um, of, our, of our family. And I remember as I was growing up, I don't remember exactly when my dad would talk about this, but I remember he would talk about it all the time, uh, probably when I wanted to buy something, or pro- probably in that scenario. But I remember my, my dad, because he was contract, he would lose his job all the time, right? And they could just fire you at a moment's notice, you know, and, and you didn't have anything, um, no, sever- no severance or anything. And so um, my dad would talk about all the time. He's like, Josh, I, I remember, like, I got a job, and we were making money, and so we bought a house, and we bought all the stuff, and I had everything I wanted. I had all this stuff. I had abundance, and then I lost my job, and I'd be out of work for like six months, and we had to sell everything. My parents would talk about how they'd have to sell everything in their house, and they were basically had like a couch, their bed on the floor. You know, like, like that's all they had to pay for, the, pay for their mortgage and pay for the things that they needed in that time. My dad said this happened a couple times. Like he would, he would lose his job, lose everything, and then he would get a job, buy everything back that he just had, and then lose it again. And he said the third time he did that, like finally God broke it into his head and into his heart that A, when he had all the stuff, it didn't satisfy anyway. And B, uh, when he was brought low, he realized that God was there the entire time. Right, that he was there with them through it. Um, and so he would beg me, he would say, Josh, like, don't chase after the American dream. Don't chase after all the things of the world. Just chase after Jesus. He will satisfy you. He's the only thing that's ever satisfied me in the abundance and in nothing. So that leads me to my last point, is that contentment, the contentment that Paul is talking about here, flows from union with and reliance on Jesus. Here's the deal. If you listen to everything I said, but you don't have this one, then you have nothing, and you won't be content. Because contentment doesn't come from a strategy or figuring out your life um, and just like accepting where you're at or whatever. It comes from a person. It comes from Jesus. Paul says it's a secret, it's this beautiful secret of contentment that flows from his reliance on Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens If you look at Paul's life, Paul gave up everything for the sake of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had united him to himself. Like in union, when I'm talking about union, I'm talking about someone who has believed in Jesus for their salvation. Someone who has said, I am wretched. We sang about it. I'm wretched and broken and lost, and I need a Savior to come and save me. And Jesus has done that. He died on the cross for me. He rose from the dead for me. It defeated my sin, and I trust him fully with my life. There's no one else I will trust. I can't work hard enough to get to God. There's nothing I can do to get to him, but Jesus, through his work, has done it for me. God himself did the work for me, and so I trust him, and that's what unites us to God, is through Jesus. But then also, it's a life of reliance 
on Jesus every single day, a reliance. And you can only rely on Jesus if you're united to him and believing in him. But now it's every day, like denying yourself, picking up your cross, spending time with Jesus, getting to know him, getting to know how he how he wants to work and how he's moving in your life, how he cares for you in certain situations. And, uh, uh, and I love this, that Paul, if you read through his letters, like I encourage you to do this, like read through his letters, you're gonna see that Paul was never, like, like he would talk about situations, but he was never preoccupied with the situation. He was always preoccupied with Jesus. Like that was his primary thing. Like he would talk about situations like, when things weren't good and there were things that were happening, but he was never worried about it. He was never like, oh my gosh, like this is gonna ruin everything. He was always like, no, Christ is supreme. Jesus is Lord. God is sovereign over everything. And it's like, and I trust him fully and he's gonna do a work in this time. And it might not be anything I thought it was gonna be. I love how the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like, I love the reason. Like, keep, your, keep your life free from, or free from the love of money uh, and be content with all that you have. Why? Because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like, I have united myself to you in Christ. I will be with you every step of the way. And the, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, like, you know this, the Holy Spirit lives within you. God walks with you in every moment. All of the pain, all of the shame, all of the things that you've done wrong against God, he's there with you and his word towards you is, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. And that to Paul was more valuable than anything he could ever. So I want you to go back. I want you to think about that cup that I was talking about at the beginning that cup, and if we take that cup and we say it's my life, I want you to think about now, I want you to turn towards the person that you're telling to fill that cup, and I want you to think about what, what are you asking to fill up your cup in life? What are you asking to fill your cup? Because what Paul is saying here is, look, if it's anything other than Jesus himself, that cup will never be full. It might fill up a little bit, but the more you fill, it'll just stay the same. It'll stay exactly the same. It will never fulfill you. It will never satisfy you. It will never lead you to a place where you can go. <sighs> that will never happen if it's not Jesus. Finally, I want to I leave you with this. There's some beautiful things we see in here about contentment in Jesus that uh, these are kind of responses that are, are things that happen in our lives when we are fully content in Jesus. My hope is that you'd see that and go, first, I'd hope you see, okay, yeah, I see these things in my life. And for some, I would say, I hope you'd see, man, I, I want these things in my life. And so I'm going to give every, there's parts of my life that I'm not giving over to Jesus and I want to give them over to him. But the first thing that we see in this is that contentment in Jesus brings us into partnership with God. The Philippians were these ones that, they were the only church that supplied Paul, that they, they were partnering with God in this. And then if you look at Paul's journey and you see what he, uh, like what God was able to do through him, man, what a blessing for the Philippians to see that and to be just blown away by the fact 
that all these people are coming to know Christ just by their extreme generosity and saying, everything is yours, Jesus. And so my, my question for you is, are you missing out on what God's doing around you? Are you not seeing God move around you because you have discontentment uh, or you're discontent in Jesus? Like that you're not seeking contentment in Jesus. The second thing we see is that contentment, actually, contentment in Jesus brings joy in every situation, right? Paul writes this letter from prison. He, uh, and, and the whole, like this whole series that we've been doing is called Indestructible Joy, and he's in prison. And yet he's writing about this immense joy that he has in the person of Jesus. And so my question for you is, are you not able to have joy in every situation? And if so, is it because uh, because you're not content in Jesus. You're seeking something else to, to bring you contentment, to satisfy you. And lastly, we see here is that contentment grows our faith. For the Philippians, they gave up everything. They said, hey, everything is yours. They gave abundantly to Paul when no one else was giving. And Paul says to them in verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? That God is sovereign over everything and he will supply everything you need. I'm not, I'm not talking about a, a, a prosperity theology where it's like if I give you know, this much to God, he'll quadruple it and give it back to me. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is like, are you so sure of who God is and what he has done for you that you would give up everything and say, I know he loves me and he's gonna provide whatever I need. And it could be, again, it could be the low, it could be the high. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because I have everything in Jesus. Have you, grown, have you not grown in your trust of God every day? Or, sorry, let me say that again. Have you not grown, grown in your trust of God uh, in your life because of your lack of discontent with Jesus? Or your, sorry, your discontent in Jesus because of it. Man, my hope for us, like I think about this with teenagers all the time because that's who I spend time, most time with, but man, for them to see that Jesus really is enough, that we're not talking about like a religion where we come on Sundays and we, we sing these songs and when things are good, we're all great and when things are bad, we're, we're, we're gone. But a people that says, no, I know in every situation God is here that he loves me and he cares for me and I can trust him with literally everything, every aspect of my life. So for those of you who are in Christ, my hope is that you know that, that you know that Jesus is everything. And maybe this is a time where you say, you know what, there's areas of my life where I've been seeking satisfaction and fulfillment and other things that aren't Jesus. And I need to give those things up. Repent, trust him, tell a friend as a follower of Jesus and say, hey, these are areas of my life where I'm struggling to actually believe this. Do that. And for some of you, you may be, this may be hard for you, you may be thinking, okay, why in the world, uh, why in the world is Jesus able to do this? To you, I would say, you don't, you, you don't know him. Like, get to know him. Like, this is the time of the season, or this is the time of the year we call it Advent, where we turn towards Jesus and we look to him, and we look at his first coming, and we look forward to his second coming in anticipation. We, we focus on him, and so what a great time. 
Glad you're here. Glad it worked out that way for you to turn and look towards Jesus. And my hope for you is for the next month that you would turn and say, every day you're gonna say, okay, if there is a whole bunch of people that actually believe that Jesus can satisfy everything, I just wanna see if that's actually true and look towards him. And so we have, like I said, those, like Benji was saying before, those Advent books out there. You can go, it's every day, daily journal, like look at who Jesus is and what he's done. And I guarantee if you look and seek, you will find him. You'll find that he is enough. And the things that you are searching for, the things that you're trying to satisfy your life with, um, he will slowly begin to reveal that those things aren't actually doing what you think and that he provides not just a better way, but the way through himself. That's my hope for you. Let me pray for us to that end. God, I thank you that um, you love us so deeply that you would send your own son, that you would come down and live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve. And you bring us into your family. Not because of us, but because of you. And God, you don't leave us there. You don't say, all right, see you later. But now you want to partner with us. You want to bring joy into our lives, like everlasting joy. You want to help us to live for the things that matter, not for ourselves, but for the things that are eternal, for the things that are of you. Would you help us? Because that's hard. So easy to fall into the trap of all the all of the things of the world, the trap of thinking we can be content and satisfied in the things of the world says is good. I pray that would you help our minds to just sober up by your spirit, would you, would you show us honestly this morning that that's just a lie? Would you help us in that? Remind us of the grace that you've extended to us. Okay, it's in Jesus' name.